Can I brag on you guys for just a minute? I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, one of the things that I'm super impressed with is not only as continuing things just change around the, the economic landscape of our country, you continue to be givers. And I want you to know that we see that and we recognize that and we are grateful. And we're also grateful that whenever there's an extra need, you guys dig deep and you do more. And Case in point are the things like all of the people that have been picking up these envelopes for children at the children's home, you're going to go buy them gifts, and you're going to go bless them, and that's amazing. And those of you that have taken the shopping list or you've given an extra donation for the Christmas baskets, let me tell you, that blesses not only uh, my heart, but it's going to bless families. In fact, we've heard uh, repeatedly about families in this community that will receive a blessing this Thanksgiving because of your generosity. And I just wanted to say, for those that will never be able to say thank you because they don't know that you're the ones that did it, thank you. I'm so grateful and proud to be part of such a caring and generous body. So thank you guys for that. Yeah. All right, so I've got to shift gears now because we're going to talk about something, and, and it's going to, maybe for some of you, this is going to be a little bit difficult. And if that's the case, I want to apologize and say sorry, not sorry, and just move on, right? But I'm going to start with a question first. And the question is this When was the last time that you compared yourself to someone else? Now, for most of us, it was this morning, right? Okay? or last night, but for those of you that came back with, there is no one else like me, we agree. Okay, but there are so many areas where we can find ourselves comparing to ourselves to others. And we'd like to say that church is different, that somehow inside the walls of this building, we have, have gone out of that of that mind frame where we're continually comparing ourselves to others, but the church is not any different. In fact, comparing ourselves to others is oftentimes what makes being a Christian hard based on what then we think it means to be a Christian. Or we have other people telling us that it's too hard to be a Christian. I think with that statement, we, we've kind of landed on everybody in the room, right? Because we're either, we're either in that spot where we're thinking it is too hard or people tell us it's too hard, or we are judging others because of how hard we think they should be trying, right? Because then we have these super Christians. You know the kind that I'm talking about, right? The super ones, the ones that, that you can imagine. Here's the way that their, their world works. This is the way that they do every single day the ones that have discovered how it is that they can make it all work every single time. They're the ones that are up before the sun, right? They're the ones that pray two hours and then journal for an additional hour. Then they make breakfast. Then they get ready for work. Then they help two strangers on the way to work. They save a kitten out of a tree they handle an irate customer, and then they work 10 hours. Those are the people that were going, you know what, most times, I don't measure up. Now, I want to uh, kind of help you in your fears here. There are rarely people that live a life like that. Is that okay? 
And you're like, all right, we just set the bar low. <laughs> no. All right, so sometimes, though, I kind of struggle uh, with, with lots of things. And, and to tell you the truth, I, I struggle with things like this. Um, did I close the garage, right? Or I get somewhere, and then I realize that I've left my wallet safely at home. Or even more to the point, I can't tell you how many Sundays I've left my wallet in my office. And we've gone into San Antonio to eat or to go get some groceries or whatever it is, and I go, huh. <laughs> Melanie thinks I have Alzheimer's. <laughs> and I'm starting to think she might be right. But sometimes we just get in this spot where we look at other people and we say, you know what, they've got it together. And we say, I don't know how I can compare myself because I don't measure up to other people's togetherness. And it leaves us feeling as though that we're never going to get there. We're never going to, to make it out of what we think is the right way to live, the right way to behave. And we all feel the pressure. We feel it in all different areas of our lives. Like, and like it or not, there is a little bit of pressure in living a Christian life. Would you, would you agree? There's a little bit of pressure there. But the biggest thing is that we ask this question, we go, how do I compare? How do I compare to other people? How do I compare to that person that I believe all they do is kind of levitate from one room to the other, right? They're the ones that are always doing the right thing and always saying the right thing, and I'm pretty sure that they memorized all of the Bible. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, and we're trying to figure out where do I rate? And to be honest, we go, as long as there's somebody down here and I'm like right here, we're okay, right? As long as I can look down and say I'm doing better than so-and-so down the row, we're okay. And so we ask that question, am I better or am I worse at being a Christian? But here's the fact. People, people can inspire us to do the right thing or they can cause us to quit. And did you know that it's the top performers, surprisingly, that cause the most damage? Our, our response to them, our response to the people that kind of just drip with this, I've, I have it togetherness, those are the ones that, that they exude that godliness, right? Our response is one of two things. We're either inspired or we give up. We, we see what they do. We see what they do and we're inspired and we say, you know what, I want to try harder. I want to get there. I want to do those things. I want to be that kind of person. In fact, I just want to have a smile on my face at the end of the day. Anyone there? We see what they do and it's an inspiration or worse. We see what they do. It makes us jealous and we're demotivated, and we just give up. There's a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is, 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 um, is a, a collection of sayings that Jesus delivered to the multitudes. And in those sayings, there's all kinds of great things that we can take away. We're going to only look at one of them today. We're going to look at, at an encouragement for us to be different, 
to bring all kinds of godliness, to bring all kinds of goodness to the world around us. And if you can imagine by the, by the bulletin cover and by the graphic that you saw at the very beginning, can you imagine which one we're going to be talking about? Oh my goodness, come on now. Somebody pick up your bulletin. What does it say on the front? Assault. Okay. Woo, it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? All right, so let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. That's it, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with that, uh, that saying, with that, with that sentence. In fact, we say, you know what? You couldn't find anybody finer there. You're the salt of the earth, right? And we describe people in such a way that, that their saltiness is a virtue. And so we're familiar with that passage. And what is it that makes the small sentence, the small sentence from Jesus relevant to us today? He says this, that you are the salt of the earth. Realize here that Jesus does not say, try to be the salt of the earth. Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say it might be good for you to go down and to take some classes at Salt and Light University to learn how to be salt. He said you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say go to the rabbis, go to the, the elders and have them lay hands on you to somehow make it where the Holy Spirit imbibes you with saltiness. Doesn't say go for 30 minutes every morning, reach within and find your own salt. He says you are the salt. And that's pretty straightforward. You are the salt. So this is what you are. This is who you are, so don't forget it. His statement is not a command, but it's a description. You are. The people that we admire as an example of the Christian life are an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus and be the salt in the world. But here's the thing. There's a difference between being salt and salty. You know that, right? There's a difference between being salt and salty. There's, there's another type, another type of person that seems as though they may be salt, but in fact, they're just being salty. Now, you've heard about this in regards to food. You know, when, when food is too salty, do you like it? No. Nah. You've heard it in regards to cooking and food, but what does salty mean in the context of relationships? What does salty mean outside the world of food? According to the great minds at Urban Dictionary, they use salty as a slang term to describe someone who is angry, someone who is agitated, someone who is mean, annoying, repulsive, or judgmental. So let me ask you a question. Have you been salty? Most likely. Thank you for your honesty. So I have a few examples to walk you through as we get, get the ball rolling this morning. So are you salty or judgmental stuff church people say? 
okay? We're going to look at four salty attitudes and statements that are common among the people that are salty. The ones that are judgmental, angry, mean, rude, those things, right? And we're going to reframe them as statements for people that are salt. So, are you ready? Number one, salty, you're going to hell. Right? Now, some of us had heard that said to us. Some of us had said that about other people. So no one in here is immune from this one. But this is usually the response to something that we've observed in someone that is sinful, that we don't like, or that comes out as anti-God. It puts us in a place where we determine that we can judge the innermost parts of someone's soul and know their deepest beliefs about God. So the, the, the salty phrase is, you're going to hell, but the, the salt phrase is, God created you for more. If you encounter somebody that's going through a difficult time and they are steeped in sin and they are having so many issues, instead of saying, you're going to go to hell for that, say, God created you for so much more. Better yet, you know what you say? How can I help? How can I help? Do you want to talk? Engage with them and love them toward being the image that God created them to be so that they can see their status, so they can discover their status with Jesus. Number two, salty. Everything happens for a reason, or it was just God's will. We use this phrase oftentimes to describe things that are super painful. Things like death, divorce, financial issues, relational issues, missed opportunities, all kinds of things. And we, we use this, this as just some sort of blanket statement to, do, to somehow appease somebody because something went wrong or wrong in their eyes. So the salty is it's God's will. The salt is, hey, can I sit with you? Another person needs to know that you were there for them. The best advice that I've ever heard given to people that have lost a loved one is that if you can come in and instead of saying, you know, uh, things like this, and if you say these, I'm, I'm not making light of you or, or, or anything like that, but if you say, God needed another angel, no. If you're saying that it was God's will, no. If you're saying those things, what you're telling that person in the moment is that the deepest held love, belief, or trouble that they are walking through, that God was the orchestrator of evil. So instead, say, can I sit with you? Can I cry with you? Can I sit here and just, just help you cry? Pray over them. Ask them, how can I help? And then not just ask, how can I help, but actually do it. Follow through, right? Number three, salty. You just need more faith. You didn't pray hard enough. Anyone ever been told that? And left you feeling a little upset at God about that one? Or a little bit less than in your own heart? Because you're like, I don't know how I can have more faith. We say this when we don't really know what to do. Really, it's because uh, whatever situation it is is really rough, or there's really no good answer to it. 
Listen, if we're trying to solve the problem of evil in the world by one little short statement of saying you need more faith, guys, just hang that one up. It's better just to be quiet, right? So salty says that you need more faith. Salt says, you know what? That sounds difficult. Kind of getting a theme here. That sounds difficult. How can I help? How can I leverage me for you? Can I pray for you? Is there someone I can get to talk with you? Is there someone, some way that I can get you some help? Number four, you go to church? How many of you heard that yesterday? (laughs) We say this when we judge someone based on their appearance or how they behave in public. It's a low-key condemnation based on what you judge to be true. So the salty person says, you go to church? The salt of the air says, want to come with me. Hey, listen, I'm going to church this Sunday. Do you want to come? I'm going to go to a Bible study that meets on Monday or a Bible study that meets on Tuesday or I'm going to come to Wednesday night. There's stuff for the kids going on. There's all kinds of stuff. I'm going to go. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to go to a small group? Would you like to have coffee? Would you like to share a meal? The bottom line is the answer to that is to be relational, to get to know them. So then how can we be the salt that Jesus is describing? And what is it about salt? And and basically, I wanted to give you a few ideas as, as to what salt actually does. Salt seasons and flavors. You know that. Every good cook knows that, that if you don't use salt in food, it's bland and it's kind of void of flavor because salt seasons and it flavors. Your food tastes better. Salt purifies. Salt has been long used for, for its purification properties. It's, it's been used to keep off infection. It's been and used in some countries with, with a little bit of salt and a few other things in a, in a battery to uh, provide bacteria-free water. Salt preserves. Anybody from the South knows this, right? Without refrigeration, people, uh, people would salt their meat to preserve them. In the South, that's country ham. You know, that's that's exactly what it is. You're like, just cut that junk off, (laughs) soak it in water because nobody can eat it that way, and then cook it, right? Salt also produces thirst. It produces thirst, and it's necessary for our bodies to function. If you eat too much salt, what do you need? Water, right? So then how can we embrace being the salt of the earth? Jesus told us in many ways that we would be known for how deeply we love. Many studies show, though, that that as Christians interact in the world, in the marketplace, they are viewed by those outside the church as judgmental. They're, They're viewed for how deeply they judge others, inside and outside, than how deeply they love. The problem is that, the, that they don't know any Christians. The problem isn't that they don't know any Christians. They do know them, and that's why they have that opinion. They just don't like what they've experienced, and they don't like what they've heard. So either we inspire or we bring judgment. 
Not the holding people accountable kind of judgment. Not the holding people accountable to spur you on in your faith kind of judgment. But the other kind. The, the kind that says, I don't like you because you believe differently than me. I, I don't like you because you look different. I don't like you because you're younger, because you're older, because you smell funny, because you smell too nice, because you live in the right place, because you live in the wrong place. I don't like you because you grew up around here or, or because you're not from around here. And this kind of judgment, it has nothing to do with love. So salty in today's context means judgmentalism. And Jesus was not the only one. He, he said, you know, the, the, the future for people that, that are living as salt of the earth are the people that will fulfill my purpose. And he said, listen, if you're just being salty and you're not fulfilling your purpose, then he says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And this is how Luke captured the moment. If you want to flip over Luke chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, he says, but salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. And Jesus in this is communicating something that's extremely profound, especially in regards to how we live our lives. Christians are to display love. That's salt. That is to bring flavor, restoration, and renewal into others' lives so that they will thirst for the love of Christ. There are five things that salt is that salty is not. Five things salt is. is love, help, humility, prayer, and evangelism. Salt is love. The presence. The presence of a judgment almost always guarantees an absence of love. Think about this. Think about, think about it through the lens of your closest relationships. It's virtually impossible to love someone and judge them at the same time. But you say, listen, what if they're making a huge mistake and they need correction? I would tell you this. First, look at the depth of your own sin. First, look at the depth of the mistakes that you have made in your life. And after you've dealt with your issues first, and what I know that you'll find there is a loving God who forgives you despite your sin. So having been loved, you can then love others because you can't love someone and judge them at the same time. Being salt is help. helping people who judge seldom help. Have you noticed that? That people who are judging seldom jump in and help but people who help seldom judge. Because judgment, it creates this line, and it creates this line, you know how we were talking at the very beginning that we want up here and or here, or even just like right here? We create this line where at least if we're better than or smarter than or more righteous than the other person who needs help, we're okay. But help doesn't know such line. It just knows how to help. Love doesn't know such line. It just knows how to help. Jesus told us not to judge. 
but to remove the massive log that we have sticking out of our own eye before trying to find that little speck of dust in someone else's. We need to get ourselves right, then help. Don't judge, just help. If you're not going to help, if you're just going to stand in judgment, then don't bother, because you'll probably just make it worse. And if you help, you will likely find that something in you has disappeared. The judgment that you carried. Salt is humility. Judgment is never grounded in humility. As in, humility as in, oh my goodness, I'm I'm such a mess. If you knew anything about my life, you know it's just a mess. But you know what? We can figure this out together. Judgment, though, is grounded in arrogance. Because most of judgmentalism is because people are carrying around a sense of condescension. I would never, (laughs) I would never find myself in that situation. Right? Right? You should be as good as me. Or, out of a sense of pity, poor, poor pitiful you. Or, the southern way of saying that is, bless their heart. We put ourselves in this place where we're more superior, where we're smarter. And it's no wonder that people Run from it. Very few people are judged into life change, but many get loved into it because humility fosters empathy. Empathy says, I am like you. I get that. I understand. Maybe we can help each other. Do you know how many people How many people in this room would run to that? Salt is prayer. You cannot pray for someone and judge them because you're not actually praying for them. You can pray about them, absolutely, but your prayer will not be grounded in humility. Your prayer for someone that you're judging can be grounded in arrogance and anger and hatred and disdain. But it won't be grounded in love. Can't pray for someone if you're judging them. If you want to stop judging someone, then pray for them. It's impossible to judge someone and truly pray for them at the same time. Salt is evangelism. Listen, if you want to kill evangelism in the local church, just fill the church with judgmental people, and people will run from it. People run from those who judge them. When grace, the grace of God, that Jesus died for your sins, and the truth of God, that your sins separate you from God. When grace and truth are fused together, do you know what happens? People run towards it. 
When I understand that there is something inherently wrong, that I have sin in my life, and it is an offense to God. We need to recognize that. True? Right? This is church, right? Okay. We need to recognize that we have sin. True? Okay, good. We're going to sit down and do a little bit of basics here. Okay. So our sins then separate us from God. True? Okay, good. We're doing better now. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That's right. And so when grace and truth are fused together, people run to it because they understand that there is hope and it describes a situation, a reality that they live in that brings hope. What they're facing can be better. What they feel inside that they don't measure up, and the truth is none of us measure up. Even the ones that got it all down, the ones that are praying for three hours a day and journaling and helping kittens and people and all of those things, those people, they still have sin, and they still will be separated from God, destined for a place that wasn't created for us, yet the grace of Jesus Christ right? There is hope that it can be better because God never asked you to judge the world, but he did ask you to love it. Judgment is a terrible evangelism strategy. You could hear all of what I've just said as what? Completely judgmental, right? But when it comes to judgment, when it comes to judgment, Paul made it clear that we are not to judge the world. Why choose to hold somebody accountable to rules that they did not decide to play by, right? He says, do not judge the world, but we are to practice discernment in the church. There's a difference between judgment and discernment. Effectively, this happens as we look in the mirror every single day. We can judge our lives based on what we see and what we feel and what we experience and what we want forgiveness for in that morning, right? And we can know that God has called us to something more. By the grace of Christ, that his mercies are made new every single day, and he gives us grace upon grace. John told us that. In life, life is messy, and problems, they're all over the place. And there are plenty of things to get us distracted and destroyed. And people, you know what we do? We chase anything that looks like it might give us life, anything that might be fun, anything that might dull the pain. And we as the church, we need to help because we have been helped. John Piper said the gospel is basically this. One beggar showing another where the handout is. Discernment sees a problem. Discernment sees a problem and engages it with love. The church sees a problem and engages it with love, humility, prayer, with an aim to help. If you don't experience that inside the church, then we're doing it wrong. 
if there is an issue in your life, if there's something going on, we need to engage you with love, humility, prayer, and help so that the person on the receiving end can see and feel the genuine love that only comes from Christ. Because people know when they are being loved and helped. So I'm a judger seeking to be a loving helper. Jesus' most harsh words were directed to those who were righteous, the ones that should know better, the ones that were on the inside of faith. He spoke, though, with compassion to those who were on the outside. So I have a question. What if we were known for the love that we have for one another? I'll tell you what would happen. We would be a much better church. But you push back and say, well, what if we're not salty enough? What if we're not different enough? Whatever Jesus had in mind, when he said that you're the salt of the earth, we know this, that salt, it's salt. You can't make it more salty. The value of salt is in its application to other things. The value, get this, the value of your spiritual growth, the value of your life in Christ is in its application to other things. The gospel being lived through you. It's in the application of other things. So it's no wonder that Jesus calls us salt because we exist for others. Some of you may be in here, though, feeling like you've lost your saltiness. The good salt, right? Because we got enough of the other. Because we're so judgmental. We're more judgmental than we are loving. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to ask Jesus to change your heart. You may realize, though, that you can't be described as salt because you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that today. Because no matter where you are, no matter where you are, as I've been a Christian for a long time or I've not been a Christian ever, no matter where you are, today you can make your relationship with God right. You can accept the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And you can be counted as the salt of the earth. Today is the day to make it right. Today is the day for you to do that. Now, here in a little bit, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. And as we, as we think about taking communion and all of those things, we're going to sing a song bet between the point, uh, between now and when we do communion. And if you are in a moment where you've, you've kind of been steeped in, in some things that are really not honoring to God, this is the time to do that. Because Paul tells us in, in Corinthians that, that if we take the Lord's Supper, if we, if we take communion in a manner that is unworthy, we are heaping condemnation on ourselves. Basically, here's what that means. If you have some unresolved things in your life, if you are, are in a place where you aren't loving others, 
If you're in a place where you need a freshness and a newness of, of Christ, I want you to take this moment and pray and, and ask God to work in you. If you're in a place where all you're doing is thinking about you, chances are you're not thinking of the things of Christ. So pray that God would realign your focus, He'd realign your heart, and that the Holy Spirit would well up from within and transform you into a person that applies the gospel every day and in every way.